Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coffee with Convery. I'm your host, Brian Convery. Today, we are continuing our careering talk, which is an open mic series to empower job and career seekers with knowledge, insights, career pathing, and coaching to find that dream job and develop a career with purpose and impact. On today's careering talk, I've invited James Hornick to join me. James is a Penn State University graduate with a Bachelor of Science in Marketing. James is a partner at HireWell, and he hosts his own HireWell Talent Insights podcast. James is the number three sarcastic commentator on LinkedIn, and he actively talks about topics such as hiring, content, sarcasm, and recruiting from his home in Chicago, Illinois. Since 2001, uh, HireWell has been a staple in the Chicago business community, where he and his talented team of recruiters help their clients grow by recruiting top-tier talent from technology, human resources, digital experience, marketing, sales, finance, accounting, real estate services, and more. In his spare time, James likes to trade financial derivatives, lift weights, and troll the internet. James, welcome to the podcast. Oh, such a fantastic intro. You got me a little bit nervous on that first part when you're talking about imparting knowledge or whatever it was on your, your <laughs> you know, I, I hope I can live up to that part of it, at least. I don't uh, know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. So, you know, just to get going, as I said, this is like an upfront kind of get to know James better. And for, for our audience here, which is a lot of young professionals just trying to figure out their journeys in life. And uh, so we'll start off with a few rapid fire questions. So uh, what are your preferred pronouns? Uh, he, him. Okay. And superpower, what is your superpower? I don't age. Can you not tell? Yes, I can tell. You're, you're good, good genes, my friend. Good yeah. genes. <laughs> um, cake or pie? Uh, we'll go with cupcakes, you know, watching watch my portion size. But yeah, cake is clearly superior to, to, to pie. Okay. So in the last month or so, pie has been at the top. I don't know. We keep really? talking about the crust. Yeah, the crust is I good. I mean, or... apple pie is good. I mean, I could go on a whole tangent about pie quality because I feel like a lot of like you're like in Chicago, there's a lot of places that are kind of known that are actually really overrated. Meanwhile, straight up Costco probably makes the best apple pie around. Controversial <laughs> opinion, but, you know, don't knock it till you try it. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I have I've tried some Costco baked goods in the States and uh, you're, you're right. They're pretty fantastic. Yeah. Um. Favorite holiday? Hmm, it's a tough one. Um, probably just Christmas. That might be kind of a like the the obvious answer, but um, I have the basically every Christmas morning I get up, pour myself a Bailey's and coffee, and watch Die Hard before you know nine o'clock. So that's really <laughs> what you have to look. For. That's every Christmas, and I look forward to it. That's awesome. I, you're one of those 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 Die Hard fans that do declare that a Christmas movie. I mean, it's it had every Christmas song in the movie. How was it not? You know, exactly. So, I'm with you. Anyway, yeah. Um, best compliment you've ever gotten? Uh, I don't know. No one ever gives me compliments. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when someone tells me I'm funny, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Humor is good, right? You gotta laugh yeah. at life. So, uh, what else are you gonna do? Cry, right? <laughs> exactly. So. Um, this one, uh, I love adding this one in. I've got answers all across the board, but do you have a favorite smell? A favorite smell? Oh, uh, tough to say. Uh, the, the only thing that sticks out in my mind in, in Chicago, there's, um, on the North side, there's a chalk, there's a mystery chocolate smell. 
Um, and it's because there's actually a chocolate plant um, hidden between a couple blocks that people aren't aware of. So if you're if the wind hits right, instead of getting like a crappy um, lake or river water smell, you actually get uh, Blommer's chocolate. And it's always wow. a, a pleasant surprise. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. Strangely, strangely enough, a couple of years, like it came out, the EPA was trying to like bust them out for it. Like yeah. um, all the stuff like the EPA has to worry about, like the one good thing people actually like about like you know, potentially contaminated air, like a chocolate smell was the thing <laughs> they were going after. Yeah, Anyways. really pick pick other battles. That's a that's a that's yeah. a good smell. Brings back a lot of memories. Yeah. Um okay, so let's get let's get into it. I as I told you, um I shared a little bit about you your background up front and and your podcast. And I've I've been watching your podcast and I just I love how you you tackle so many interesting topics. Um but today I want to really talk about you and like talk detailed about your overall career journey, you know, how you kind of got to where you are now uh with Hirewell and and kind of what attracted you to the world of recruiting in the world of talent acquisition? Uh, I needed a job. They were hiring. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, I, I, I started my career. My first job was actually in technology sales. And I always have to, um, this is, you know, kind of sound like the old man, but um, I, I started my career in basically 2000. And it was at the very tail end of like the tech boom, um, like the dot-com tech boom. And it was, um, I would say if you were doing anything related to technology, it was a far bigger crash than 2008 or 2009 or what happened with COVID or anything else. So my first job, like um, it, like selling was really easy while things were good. And all of a sudden, just like the um, the air came out the room and, you know, there were unemployed software developers and me being a technology salesperson who was like, you know, 21, 22 years old. Obviously, I didn't make it in the long haul. So um, I, at the same time, too, the, the successes I did have selling tech in those early days, um, not, there was nothing I hated more than selling something that straight up didn't work. Like um, whenever you're selling a, a technology like like software or hardware or whatever, like you're, you're kind of limited by if your product's actually any good or not. Um, and I was talking to a recruiter at some point, um, he was trying to recruit me for some other job. And, uh, I just asked him what he does and why he likes it, you know, cause I knew it was, he was kind of a sales job, right? What I enjoyed about recruiting or like from what he was talking about is it's not so much that you're helping people with careers, but that's why a lot of people get into like recruiting is, you know, there, there's, there's some, you know, kind of myopic view of like how you can assist people, but it's that you're responsible for your own fulfillment. So like mm -hmm. if you if you fall short and you disappoint a customer, um, it's, lot, it's a lot more in your control in my view um, and how you run kind of quality control for the work that you do than selling some other like, widget, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So you're, you're very much more self-reliant. So if you can make it into recruiting, you can, you'll always have the option of kind of doing your work for yourself and work on your own. No one can take that away from you. So there's also some level of like um, ownership and job stability in that fact, right? So, um, but how I got into recruiting, um, yeah, so uh, lost my job at some point, <laughs> as did everyone who was young and working tech sales in that era. Um, and yeah, so I just, you know, higher oil wasn't my first job. Um, I, I took a job somewhere else. Um, it sucked. So everyone has to have that first experience in recruiting with an awful place. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I was, then I was, I learned the ropes, learned the craft, knew I was good at it. Um, I met uh, 
uh, met our CEO, Matt uh, Masucci, uh, probably a year after that and uh, made the jump. And we've been working together ever since. That's awesome. Um, and it's interesting, the perspective you, uh, how you, how you tie back the experience to, um, you know, the, the, the myopic view versus sort of the, the challenging competitive view of recruiting too, right. And how you have to hone your craft and, and be good at it to actually serve your clients. Uh, interesting. The joke within recruiting is like everyone, everyone gets in recruiting typically falls into it. So like no one went to school for this. No one said, Hey, I want to do this, but um, the other joke too is if you do this long, even the people who like said, I want to get into recruiting because I want to help people. Uh, yeah, talk to people all day, um, every day, all day for one to two years. You're going to be really sick of helping people. <laughs> you're like, your, your motivation for staying in. Like you you see the best and worst in people really easily anyways. But um, I kid, but not really. No, I get I get, Yeah, I understand. You know, um, one of the, the recent uh, podcasts you were talking about, I was telling you as we we're getting ready to start this, um, I was on my way to lunch and listening and really nodding my head and smiling and laughing as well. You know, you talked about traditional fulfillment models for recruiting and how they're deeply flawed and that recruiting is really hard. And I, I was so glad someone actually said that out loud, that recruiting is really hard. And, you know, why, why do you think most people don't really get recruitment and rely on these traditional and outdated approaches to find talent, which is arguably the most important asset of any company or organization? I, there's, there's a couple things that drive that. I think one is that, um, uh, the hiring landscape has changed significantly in the past 10 years, but definitely 20 and 30 years, even take any skill set. um, take marketing for instance, right. Um, nowadays there, there's all different types of marketers. There's demand gen marketers, product marketers, there's digital marketers that focus in social or focus in content or focus in SEO and SEM and all these different things. Um, but you know, 20 years ago, there was, you just had a marketing manager, you know, and, and maybe you had a brand manager in CPG, but there were just less skill sets. It was a less complex field. Um, not to say it was not to say it was easier, but there was less, far less specialization. You can yeah. say the same thing in technology, right? You can say um, even software development, software development has been around, but nowadays, you know, um, 15, 20 years ago, there was when we were, when I was first hiring or first recruiting for, for developers, um, our clients would ask for .NET developers, Java developers, maybe front end developers. That was it. Right. Yeah. Um, now there's like 20 different types of front end developers. There's all these custom JavaScript libraries. There's all these new languages coming out. Like there's so many different types of skill sets within development that are in demand that people need. Um, whenever you have more and more specialization like that, it's um, the, the idea that you can just put a job and post it online somewhere and that someone's going to apply to it that fits it exactly. It just becomes less and less likely. But similarly, from a recruitment agency standpoint, it might have been possible, like the whole idea of um, not to go off on a completely separate rant on like no, contingent no, recruiting, God, but the classic recruiting model of contingent recruiting is like you just get a bunch of recruiting firms involved. All these firms have pools of candidates, like they know a bunch of marketers that could fit this position. Um, and, you know, one of them is going to find someone for you. The issue is now everything's headhunting. Like no one's got like a bunch of people sitting around unemployed that fit your exact job, like just ready to go. Like it's extremely time consuming to like take on any kind of search nowadays because the world's just become more and more specialized. Yet um, people outside of recruitment don't understand that. 
Right. Um, people who come from people who come from maybe maybe the business side, maybe they were doing, maybe they had a better idea of what recruitment was 10 years ago or 15 years ago. They just don't realize how much more granular and complex like any kind of hire they're trying to make is. And they don't quite understand like why is this so hard? Um, so that that's one. Mm-hmm. I would say another thing is that a lot of separately, when you look at startups, when you look at places that are just getting off the ground, which are like, you know, the sexiest businesses everyone wants to work at, right? Um, typically, the people who start those firms, um, and, and no, I'm not going to, um, I'm not talking smack here. They typically have two passions, whatever their product is, they want to sell. And, and then they know they have to sell it. Like they're preoccupied. We got to make something and we got to sell that thing. Yeah. But anybody knows that there's, there's three things you need to make a company role. You need to be able to make a product. You need to be able to sell that product. You need to be able to hire the team to do it. And <laughs> it's usually not that third one is just as important. The first two to make a company work, but so few like CEOs and hiring leaders and people like executives at firms have that in mind. They're like, you know what? I'll find someone else to do that. So they put all this time and effort into the first two, but anytime that it's it's right off the bat, it's it's oftentimes overlooked by um, leaders and organizations because part of it is it's it's not their competency; they want someone else to do it. But the other part is they're so proud of their idea. I would say, you know, some level of arrogance mm-hmm. that they just they just think people should want to work for them. Like this is such a good idea. Like everyone can see how amazing it is. Everyone's going to want to work here. What do you mean people aren't interested? You know what I mean? Like it's this baffling idea that like it takes work to get people to want to work with you. So those are, I would say, the kind of two primary things. Again, like how the markets change and how things are much more specific, and general institutional arrogance that everyone should just want to work at your firm just because. Yeah, it's really interesting because I've seen that playing out a lot here in Canada too, where. You know, some of the big players, the brands, the big, the big, the big players in the market, you know, can feel like they go back to ten-year mindset of, well, why wouldn't they want to work here? We're such and such, right? And yeah, um, and it's 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 you really have to get in behind that and and try to open up some minds and and sometimes there's you know a lot of biases in the system or there's a well we could find these people just I'll, I'll go look myself and. <laughs> And it's, you know, it's, it's interesting, right? How it's not like, I love that you just started with like, it's really hard and it is hard um, to, 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 yeah, yeah, the the other side too, the like institutional arrogance side is that it comes from that, that lingering mentality that you have to work at a good place and people are going to want to stay there a long time. And if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that having a side gig is easier than people realized. Um, there's lots of people, especially more junior people, you know, that um, I think one of the reasons why we're having such like a labor crunch, um, you know, for a lot of roles, it's it's typically the more junior, lower paying roles we have that is because, okay, if someone's making a ton of cash at some firm, great, they're not going to go anywhere. But if you're if you're making an amount where you could easily find a couple side gigs and make pretty much the same amount and not have to deal with the corporate bullshit, like why wouldn't yeah. you, you know? So it's just like your, your name brand of your company doesn't mean anything. You can't pay the bills with that, you know? And I, and I think that's, what's driving a lot of the um, uh, driving, driving a lot of the mentality of how people kind of view their careers, especially at those, those early phases. Um, If whether, you know, they, they feel like they're being um, developed and respected and it's, it's, it's a good long-term path. And there, there's still some level of what are you doing for me right now? Um, that I think is out of whack. So, 
Yeah. Do you think there's still like um, this concept of of a career path or like I, I read something recently about career portfolios where, you know, we've always talked about that even as I was making my way through is, you know, you're going to have multiple careers in your lifetime. But this career path idea and longevity with one company or a couple companies, um, I don't see this generation coming up really even thinking that way. That's a tough one. I, I, the problem is, is like, I, I'm a, I would be a bit of a hypocrite if I said no. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of a rare case. I've been with my firm for 17 years now, yeah, see. but yeah. I've had probably five different jobs here. So it's, so it's kind of yes and no, right? Like yeah. most of my friends and people I know haven't had the same opportunities I've had here. Like we went from being a four person company to a 200 person company. So I started out as a you know, kind of a junior recruiter. I got into account management. I launched a whole new division of the organization when we launched our marketing firm, marketing, sorry, marketing recruiting division. Mm -hmm. um, then I got to move into more of a like leading business development. Like I, I launched then our actual marketing practice for the firm, moved into more of a business development role. And now I'm the chief revenue officer. So um, that that's a career path. But at the same yeah. time too, it's like we were, we were a small firm that it was, none of this was defined. None of this was laid out for me. It was just like, honestly, I got sick of tech recruiting. So I wanted to recruit for marketing, you know, <laughs> and then I got sick of recruiting entirely. So I'm like, I should just start marketing and do more sales, you know, and not every firm is going to give you the opportunity to just say F it and start doing something different because you want to, and let's see if it works. Um, I do believe that, um, I, I was having a conversation on this, I guess, kind of on this tangent is that everybody wants to hire people who have broad ranges of skills that can, you know, the more, the more, the one thing I would say is the more range you have, the more problems you've tackled, the more skills you've picked up, the more valuable you are, the more you're able to, to address a brand new problem your company might be facing that no one solved before because um, you have more experience to pull from. But to, to get broader, like the, the people with the most broad experience are not the people who've been sticking with the same company forever. It's the right. people who have been taking freelance gigs and shorter stints and those types of things. So there's, uh, it, it's a weird, it's a weird place we are right now, because I think that um, when people do hiring, they want to have their cake and eat it too. They want mm -hmm. people for whatever reason that have worked for long tenures at places but they also want people who have tackled a million different types of problems that can step in and do everything. And those are typically not the same people. Yeah, no, great point. Hey, I noticed, um, you know, trolling through your LinkedIn uh, profile too and and getting prepared for this conversation. I loved uh, in your skill profile, you have that you chewing gum is one of your skills. And, and uh, what other skills do you think a person going into the field of recruitment should have in their toolbox? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. The, the the chewing. So yeah. So LinkedIn. Uh, people don't even remember this anymore. It's kind of like back in the days when Facebook had the whole poke feature, which people yeah. probably forget about now too. Um, they had all kinds of. You could actually, I think, create any skill you wanted to for people and see if they would accept it. So I think someone nominated me for chewing gum at some point in time. <laughs> but they were all they, back ten years ago. Again, dating myself. There are all kinds of uh, just bizarre skills using people's profiles. So I just never took it off mine. What was your question again? You're asking what skills do you yeah, have to no. recruiter? Because <laughs> I know um, I threw you with that one. It was just, you know, joking, joking at, the, you know, one of your skills is that. But what, I mean, going through it, what other skills do you think a person like yourself has and, and getting into the field of recruitment, you know, people, what, what kind of skills should they have? What should they be bringing to the table? Um, 
I would say if someone's so oof, high Hamilton. EQ, yeah. I think is important. Yeah. I and I think that's that's a skill that it can be developed, but people um it's extremely underrated. I think you have to you're a conduit between um a job seeker and uh someone who's trying to hire people, right? And you're dealing with egos every day. Um, some job seekers are great to work with. Some are paying the ass. Yeah. Some companies trying to hire are great to work with. Some are paying the ass. And sometimes you're able to see that this should work. These people should want to work together, but for whatever reason. Um, but it's it's your ability to put yourself in other people's shoes makes you more able to communicate with them in a way that they're going to be receptive to. And which is really the name of the game, because if you want, um, if you want someone to listen to you or to hear you out, or if, if someone's making a bigger deal than they should have about like a uh, company, the way the interview went from either side, and you can tell, hey, it was just a miscommunication, or this is not something you should be worrying about. Like you have to be able to build credibility points with either that job seeker with that company pretty quickly um, for them to be able to listen to you. And so if you can if you can understand where they're coming from and you know kind of empathize with them and uh, but that's why I think EQ is is important um and then obviously communication skills just knowing how yeah. to talk to people and No, I'm glad you went EQ. You. I, I think that's such an underrated conversation piece that you, you really truly do need it in this field. I mean at the end of the day it's a people business, right? You have to be able to relate yeah. build relationships um on all sides well, every- of the game everybody's in everybody's had a, like an experience with a with a bad recruiter you know yeah and it's 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 always someone who didn't have eq it's someone who talks at them and not with them it's someone who just reads through a script it's someone who is kind of brash and salesy and rude and all these types of things but anybody who can give you an example of a recruiter they love working with it's always someone who is just a great listener and was able to just connect with them on a more personal level and understand where they're coming from so some great Great skills highlighted there for people considering going into recruitment or to hone in on uh, next time you jump on a call with a candidate, for sure. Um, so we all, and I think more recently, I don't know, this is becoming more and more a thing, but we all had recruiting stories of ghosting and candidates who send you a resume with the wrong company in their cover letters, hiring managers that don't show up for the interview and on and on and on. But is there, I'd love to hear, because I know it's capitalizing on, on your sarcasm and your approach to things too, is is there a bizarre recruitment story, one of the most bizarres that you could share today with our listeners? Because I'm, I'm sure you have a story. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Early days. I don't know how many I had. Uh, <laughs> we'll tie this into the state of Florida. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, we were, we were doing some recruiting in Florida. This is this is uh, mid 2000s Florida. And so I was one or two years into my career and we had a client down there and they were, they were recruiting some really old technology, um, which in your mind, like it's like um, AS400, really old stuff. I don't yeah. even know the stuff exists anymore. It was old then, right? We couldn't believe anybody was hiring for it. I don't know if the technology is actually relevant to the story here, but we'll, but bear with me. I haven't told the story in probably at least 10 years. So I had not one, but two people fall through for this role um because they couldn't pass a background check um one actually no one couldn't pass a background check because turns out they just got busted for selling meth um and then the other one couldn't pass a background check because 
Uh, they got arrested during their lunch. Actually, they started, then got arrested during their lunch break. Um, and turns out they had a bench warrant for similar crimes. And this only happens in Florida. Jeez. So, yeah. <laughs> Hasn't happened since then. But yes, two in a row for the exact same company. Um, I guess whenever someone's hiring some obscure skill set that people are still doing, you know, you can expect some of that. But yeah. You don't know who's going to come then. to the table. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How two about for ghosting? Two. Do, you, do you still like on both sides? I've seen ghosting be a topic, you know, shared. Uh, it's one of those that's shared quite a bit on LinkedIn recently. Um, any stories uh, of that or anybody played. not showing up? I've, yeah. Who hasn't? I mean, yeah. I, 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 it's my most hated topic, to be honest. Is with it? You. Okay. Just, we won't yeah. Go. It's, no, nah, it's fine though. It, it's because like everybody ghosts, but yeah. everyone complains when someone else does it to them. So, Job seekers ghost on interviews all the time. Recruiters ghost on calls. People ghost on relationships and friends and like name somebody who hasn't ghosted somebody else at some point in their life. They are a liar. Like it's the human like ghosting is the human condition. It's what you do when you don't feel like giving bad news or just whatever. It's just easier to pick up and leave. So it's not a hiring topic. It's not a job seeking topic or recruiting topic. It's just a people are frankly kind of chicken shit when it comes to delivering bad news or having tough conversations. That's really yeah. what ghosting is. I, 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 I think you're right. And it's in the follow through sometimes that just people just go on to the next thing. Um, so you're right. You're right. Um, yeah. Okay. What about what's something you wish you knew earlier in your career? Something I wish I knew earlier in my career um oh that's a tough one uh well okay what did i learn this week <laughs> that's that sound okay um yeah so i i learned something recently okay so this is this is so i um myself personally I, i've hit that point where like sometimes it's it's like I want to get ready for bed, but I'm not ready to go yet. So I don't want to start watching another show. So I just want to, I want, but I want to learn something. Right. So I'll get those like a couple good YouTube channels. Um, one has to do with like interpersonal communication and career. I don't remember what it is. It's, it's saved my favorites, but um, they were explaining that um, how people sometimes um, come across very negatively um, and overreact or to certain things. It's because they misread ambiguous statements. So um, if someone uh, makes a comment to you and you it, it's kind of ambiguous, a lot of people have the tendency to read that as negative intent instead of positive intent. And when they read a negative intent, they then act more negatively than they should. And yeah. it comes off as an overreaction and people think they're kind of a jerk. Um, that happens even more so in written communications. So like, it's really hard to like a lot of times and someone's being, being sarcastic like myself or anything else, like you can read something and, um, there might not have been any, like long story short, when there's ambiguous statements, instead of assuming the worst, try reading it a second time and realize that maybe your initial take wasn't correct. And they actually had some positive intent here before you fire back and go off the handle or get upset or react or whatever. So um, that's something I learned a little bit more recently, um, mm -hmm. the science behind it. What I did learn a long time ago, which I even still learned sooner, is if you do ever get upset about something, especially something over email, do not reply. Wait until the next day. Think it over more, then reply. Yep. Good advice. So, really yeah. good advice. Because if you 
knee jerk to some of those you like you said you might be misreading it, it might be just and you just got to walk away right just take your yeah. time what well, I think that's also why there's some people get upset about stuff like turn this in a bigger conversation, um, Twitter fights and social media beefs. Yeah. And you can even say like the, the polarization of everything in this country is just like people aren't talking with each other. They're kind of talking at each other. But a lot of that comes from um, not understanding the full context of what someone might have been trying to communicate and then just reading it in a more negative intent than they expected. And then it snowballs. So, so anyway. yeah. Totally true. Totally true. And it's, it's, it's good to tap into that in the business world, understand it. So you're, you're of course, correct. Um, pandemic, it's obviously taking quite a toll on everyone from a personal professional perspective. Um, what have you learned during the pandemic and what, how has it changed you? Um, I learned, I love working from home. Um, <laughs> That's good no, one. I, I actually, I mean, here's the thing. I worked from home one to two days a week before the pandemic. And for me, um, and maybe it's because I'm a little bit older. When I was younger, I don't know if it would have worked. Um, The reason why I enjoy working from home is because there's just less distractions. I can just sit at my desk and just hammer out work and just get a lot more done. Um, the downside that I always saw working in the office, aside from the commute, which is going to be, you know, half hour in, half hour out, an hour out every day, just, you know, kind of pointless, but that, um, it's really easy for people to waste your time or distract you with, um, not just water cooler talk, but asking you questions in person that really are, you know, it could be an email, you know what I mean? Um, by people, I think you had too much access to each other and, um, the big winner in all of work is uninterrupted time. The more uninterrupted time you have, the more you can get done. So mm-hmm. for me, that's what what I really enjoy about kind of working from home is just the fact that I'm just far more productive and can accomplish more. Um, I mean, I miss people, you know, at times, but um, it's that's prefer, like, you know, prefer is definitely a kind of work from home situation for me. Um, besides that, oof. I don't know, travel more, you know, I think that's the other thing is when we finally started traveling, like being able to travel again after that first year of like a solid lockdown, um, you know, just life's too short, go out and see the world. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you got, you got the rest of your life to sit in your living room. Exactly. And, and grow old. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, um, Okay, so this is a part of the podcast I usually ask, uh, again, thinking the audience, you know, young professionals, kids going off to school, trying to get that first job, and, you know, some of the challenges I hear from students over and over, uh, similar, you know, you know, I didn't, I, I had a challenge, I didn't know what to do, I thought I was the only one, that kind of thing. Anything that, you know, you feel comfortable sharing about, maybe an obstacle, hurdle, challenge you've come over, you know, got came over, and and some lessons you might have learned that might be interesting for us to hear a little bit more about you. Um, let me uh, make sure I understand the question relating it to someone who's just, uh, it, it can be my early career or it or... could be anything that comes to mind. Yeah. It doesn't have to be career. It could also be, you know, something personal or something that you, you know, a challenge that you were able to tackle. Um, and it could be any part of your life. It doesn't have to 100% relate to, you know, challenges of picking a school or anything just anything out there that might come to mind um 
Okay, so sure, I'll we'll go over sharing too much information. I did post a video about this on LinkedIn a long time ago. So, um, a bunch of years ago, I actually uh, had a little bout with cancer, um, wow. and yeah, I went through chemo, overdone with it. It was about three months it, for me. Is I don't like talking about it because it really, in the grand scheme of it, it was kind of a JV league experience where versus people who have it like way worse than I did. But it was still bad enough where, like I mentioned, how I, I did tech recruiting, and then I started a marketing recruiting team. Um, yeah. Uh, it was that point. I'm like, I had that realization after 10 years, like, God, I just hate tech recruiting. <laughs> I just can't talk to developers anymore. And you know what? I'm not gonna because life's too short. Um, so that was part of why I made that switch was just because I think that realizing that, you know, the next time this could be far worse or you just never know, mm -hmm. like at some point, no matter how young you are and how indestructible you think you are, you're gonna have a health crisis. You're gonna lose family members Things could change on a dime. You could get an accident. And it's easy to think, well, that's not going to happen to me. But it, it will at some point in time, right? And um, if there's something you don't enjoy doing, just stop doing it. You know, If you want to make a career change, you want to make a career pivot, you want to do... There, there's no sense in continuing to kind of like continue down a path you're just not interested in anymore. So... Yeah, thank you. Thanks for sharing that and going there. I think it 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 should resonate pretty well with a lot of the young people I've been talking to about, you know, even seeing their parents going through mental health issues and losing their jobs and you know, they're dedicated to their companies and then they have nothing and you know, they come to me and say stuff like, "Well, I don't want to be like my parent. I want to I want to do something I love and I want to be able to." So some of it is recognizing that and taking risks, but also allowing yourself to do that, right? And yeah. You're not tied to anything. You don't have to be if you don't like it. Like you said, I really like, thank you for sharing that. It, it, it's really a great lesson to learn. Um, again, as we're talking to, again, early professionals, young people, students, um, one of the the questions I often hear um, in, in being in recruiting myself is always about, well, how do I stand out to a potential employer? And what do I need to do beyond my resume? And how do I how do I make that connection and how do I get into that networking conversation? And, um, you know, I, I just wondered if you had any like advice to, to people looking for jobs and, and how to really stand out and, and to be uh, unique, unique in that approach. So I thought about this a lot and I think it's, um, cause I, I, I think there's one answer, but that you'll hear a lot, but it's not really complete. So, when I talk to people who are um, maybe just getting out of school, they're kind of at that age, a little, there's, there's a stark difference in how the people you know you want to hire versus the ones you're not going to hire present themselves. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it, and I don't want to say it's like maturity, but there's a certain like comfort level that some people have that others don't. And I, the, the, the answer, I don't, I, I don't like saying it's confidence because I think that, um, a lot of times comes across as like arrogance, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the cocky kid's going to like do great in the interview. So he's going to get the job, which is not at all what I'm really referring to. But, um, I think there are some people who are, um, a little bit younger that, that they think that people who are older, either they don't know how to communicate with them or they're afraid to. Uh, mm -hmm. They're afraid to be themselves. And it might just be because like they haven't um, haven't been exposed like or they think that they they're nervous because they feel like they have to impress people because this is business and it's serious. And this is like, <laughs> look, people who are like 
I'm a clown. Everyone I know is like, we all are like everyone's people have not changed. Everyone I know is the exact same person they were when they were 22 years old. Um, people who are, and so having a understanding that you should not be nervous talking to literally anybody you're interviewing with based upon personality and kind of where they are in the world, I think could go a long way. I think it's, it might also be like, we talked about EQ, EQ earlier. It might be developing that at an earlier yeah. age. I didn't have the EQ I have now when I was 22, you know what I mean? Um, and I think just if there's ways of kind of developing that skill, getting you, but maybe the biggest thing is just getting used to talking to people who are different than you, um, not just age-wise, but maybe come from a different background and just learning how to more quickly kind of identify um, uh, where you have similarities and differences with people and that being okay and getting better at mixing in with people who are going to be from a different background. Cause I, I do think that's um, when I was younger and when everyone's younger, like you're, you're always in, you're, you're in the bubble of like where you grew up, yeah. where you went to school, the friends you have, and then you're the people you're going to be working with are usually going to be completely different than that. But if there's ways to get involved in, uh, community events or I don't want to say networking groups, but any other activities you can do that are outside your normal bubble to just get used to like mixing in with people who are just vastly different than you um, to make yourself more comfortable with having conversation with people who are different. Um, because then when you take that to the interview process and you have the right kind of confidence to be able to talk with someone um, and you don't view them as being different or superior or someone you have to impress and you can just have a regular human conversation with them, that goes, that's huge. Yeah, I think some great, great advice and insights there to unpack for the audience for sure. Like, um, and I love what you said too, like, you know, everyone at 22 is... <laughs> I look in the mirror and I know I'm not 22 anymore, but I definitely know I'm the same person who's who I was back then. Right. I might be more mature, yeah. but I'm definitely the same young at heart person and and the way I approach things. And I think others are the same. And I don't know they build people tend to build up these. Uh, I think it's the business side. You said it like people tend to build up like, Oh, now it's business. I have to be all straight and narrow and you know, yeah. what have you, of course be professional, but why would you not be yourself well, in an interview? Like there's a there's a skewed version of what professional means. I think is really what yeah. it comes down to. Um, it's just like I think people conflate professional with like stuffy, boring, straight laced, serious, which is not what professional means. You know, professional means just courteous and respectful, right. but it doesn't mean you have to not have fun and not be yourself. Or and you definitely don't want anyone being boring. I don't want to work with anybody who's boring. <laughs> So it's, it's just kind of unpacking that, that you can, um, you can still, it's, it's getting people more comfortable with being themselves more quickly, you know, in a professional sense. Um, that way they can, they can be that version of themselves, like in the interview process and not like, um, not skewing it towards like the most boring version of themselves. Yeah, I love that because I think there's a lot of candidates who also tell me, um, like, well, what if I make some crazy looking colorful font? Or what if I do this to my cover letter? Will I stand out? And I'm I'm always trying to err on what you're talking here about is that ain't that's not gonna grab anybody's attention. In my opinion, I'm curious what you think, but you know, I think it's more about you making the difference of who you are, what you bring to the table, what's your values, what's your skills, what are you what are you passionate about? Um, you know, going back to your dorm room and making your font pink and, you know, a size 27 so that I see it. Uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts? 
I mean, I, I not yeah, like gimmicky stuff like that is, you know, it's, it's not going to work. I, I think that I'm trying to think of an easier way of kind of how to like practice this. Maybe um, if you were, if you were doing an interview um, and someone's asking you questions, like how would you answer that question? If it was your buddy asking, what tone of voice would you use? How yeah. warm would your voice be? Um, would you be, would your, would your mood be a little bit lighter and more relaxed? You know, would you kid around a little bit more? You know, um, I guess it depends what kind of buddy it is. Don't say anything off color. Obviously there is a limit <laughs> to this, but you know, it is, it is kind of like, um, just being more comfortable with being yourself earlier. Um, yeah, I, I think is maybe kind of a better way of saying it. So. That's a great way of saying it. Eventually, because eventually you get to the point where you're you're like me. I just I just don't like. I'm care. this is who I am all the time. Like, <laughs> there's no difference between me in the business setting and the personal setting. I literally talk about this like this, no matter who I'm talking to. It took a while, but I do think it can be. It can happen sooner if you work at it. So, yeah, I think I think that's some great advice, and I think if you do, you'll enjoy the whole ride a lot more. Um. Wow. Well, we're getting close to the end here. It's been amazing chatting with you today and, and getting your perspectives. And thanks for going deep on some of these areas. Um, just wondered if you had any maybe last minute thoughts or anything you want to reflect on to share with the audience today before we close out. No, I'm gassed. <laughs> I'm gassed. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get back to work here. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. that's right. You no, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. I do appreciate it. Um, but uh, I don't know. Follow. I'm, I'm always on LinkedIn. If you have any questions, reach out. Happy to, you know. Yeah. Remind anything, us so. again of your name of your podcast when it airs, things like that. Um, so our podcast is actually kind of an amalgamation of different shows that our company does. Right. So. Our talentinsights.hirewell.com is, um, uh, it, it has a lot of different kind of the, the show content we created. The Talent Insights podcast is like the audio version of that. Um, the, the kind of the flagship, the one we just did our 50th show today is the 10 Minute Talent Rant. So you can see all the 10 Minute Talent Rant episodes. Um, either you can go to YouTube, the Hirewell channel, or you can go to talentinsights.hirewell.com to see everything. Or you can listen to the audio version on the, the Talent Insights podcast. All right. I'm going to be checking that out because I know those are my favorites. Um, I get a lot of pointers and a lot of laughs out of it. I think it's great. So, all right. Well, thanks again, James, for joining. And for our listeners, if you like what you heard today, please share this podcast with your network and please continue to tune in for more upcoming episodes. It's been Coffee with the Convery. Till next time, please stay well. <laughs>